Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Welcome to Challenging Christianity. It's Rebecca here and Danielle and Pastor Katie is still in the house. Yay! I'm so excited to have you all. And uh, this is um, our second episode after our long break. And we thought we would take a, just a, maybe a short episode this time. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes to talk a little bit about democracy. We're coming up into a big election, a big election year. Um, I don't want this to like go off into hot topics or anything. We're going to talk about ELCA, the um, Lutheran Church, and its guidelines around, around this. When I was prepping for this, I was kind of looking at yeah. democracies in general, um, like when was the first democracy and what, where did it come from? And sort of interesting on the History Channel, they said the term democracy means rule by the people, which makes sense. And that was coined by the Greeks in ancient Athens. There's a lot of debate about who had the first democracy. I mean, Athenians, some say this Iceland, the Faroe Islands and the Isle of Man had local parliaments that were founded back in the ninth and 10th centuries. So. Vikings could say that it was them. Some people say that none of that matters at all because it wasn't until Finland in 1906 became the first country to abolish race and gender requirements for both voting and serving in government, that that was actually a true democracy. So there was a... Six nations of the Confederacy of the Iroquois who um, trace their consensus-based government traditions. So all throughout history, there's been different groups of people who have tried to get together to make things happen in more of a consensus-driven way. And we're just going to talk a little bit about that. I want to pass this over to Pastor Katie because she has the document um, from the Lutheran Church that talks about it. Can you tell us? All the answers. You have all the answers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. How (laughs) not true is that? Um, well, you know, what's interesting that. as you were talking, Rebecca, I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, the traditions that, um, or the, the idea of government and kind of, I don't want to say the theology around government, that's not exactly right, but understanding, you know, how, what Lutherans have taught about how God is active in and through government. Um, it all comes from Martin Luther who, you know, never lived anywhere near a democracy. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, his insights about government are certainly shaped by the time that he lived in and the type of government he experienced, which was, you know, he didn't have any kind of official um, political voice, nor did anybody. Um, And yet somehow he, he was very passionate that government has, um, government is one of the ways that God can be active in the world. Which is not to say that everything a government does is something that God would be, you know, peachy keen with. Clearly. But trying to find, <laughs> uh, yeah, clearly, um, clearly, including in his death. But I think yeah. this idea that, you know, there's kind of these two, like, two ditches on either side. And one ditch is, you know, everything the government does, we should be obedient to. And that's what God wants is for us to be obedient to the government. And there's mm-hmm. one ditch. And the other ditch is, the kind of cynical, like government is useless and corrupt and it never does anything good and you should ignore it. And Lutherans as always are trying to find themselves somewhere in the middle to say that, you know, 
there are things that we can do when we have governments that we can't do as individuals or even organizations like churches or nonprofits. Like we can't do road systems. We can't do healthcare. We can't Mm -hmm. provide, um, you know, banking infrastructure. Like we can't do some of this stuff that ideally protects the most vulnerable among us unless we have a form of government. Mm -hmm. Um, On the flip side, any form of government can become corrupt and dangerous and selfish and not useful. So Mm -hmm. there is this kind of ambiguity built into this teaching where we both acknowledge that, you know, at its best, um, government can protect us and can give us safety that we can't otherwise create. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, governments are just people and people are sinners and people screw up. <laughs> right. And so well, we're didn't not the government crucifies Jesus. I mean, right. Exactly. Right. So oops. there's a great quote by <laughs> Barbara Brown Taylor, one of my favorite preachers and theologians. And she says, you know, always keep in mind that Jesus was killed by the people who were advocating law and order. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he wasn't killed by the protesters and the outsiders. He was killed by the law and order people. Right. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's not, it's not, government doesn't have some magic reason why it can, why it will be good. Right. Um, It's, it's by the people. Right. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. No, I would love to. Um, There are other examples where Jesus, you know, protested essentially against the things of the time. I mean, I don't know it so well, but certainly one that comes to mind is when he's in the market, he, uh, he makes an uproar in the market. Um, about the market being in a temple. Was that the story? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He throws over the temples of the people who were selling animals for sacrifice and changing money and doing that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways that that story can be turned into a really anti-Semitic story, which I don't think is the Mm -hmm. point at all, but um, maybe the better point is that any system um, religious or otherwise can be can become oppressive and that perhaps the system of sacrifices in that day uh, was excluding those who were poor. And so they weren't able to afford a sacrifice and therefore they couldn't, you know, participate in the religious ritual the way they would maybe want to or the way that they should. And so Jesus standing up and saying, Hey, this system has gotten out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And was that where the give unto Caesar thing came from? Is that even a biblical quote or am I getting that? Yeah, no, that's a different story. That's a different story. Um, But that's where somebody takes a coin and is um, essentially really trying to trap Jesus into um, giving an answer that would get him in trouble, you know? Mm, Blasphemy or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jesus basically says, look, if the coin has Caesar's image on it, give it to Caesar. It's not that big of a deal. And then or render unto Caesar is the, you know, the King James version of that. But then he says, but so give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And it's one of those, I think, sort of like trick sentences where you think, wait a second now. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> Doesn't everything belong to God? Oh, crap. <laughs> you know, so so I don't think Jesus is exactly advocating for um, the government in that case. I think he sort of realizes that he's being... They're trying to kind of trick him. Got it. Interesting. Well, that that really makes me think of this kind of separation of church and state that we Mm. hear so much about. And 
the place of the modern church in forms of protest and in the idea of advocating for voting or candidates or protest environments yeah what Mm -hmm. what is the church's role in modern day politics are there laws about it rules about it unwritten rules so the rule you know the phrase church and state and i am not an expert on this actually some other pastors on staff would really be able to handle this better but church (laughs) and state is not there's not like a you know amendment to the constitution or anything. It's a concept that is talked about, but it's not, I think often people think it's a law somewhere that says church and state shall be separated. It's not a, it's not, there's not a law that says that. The one that people are often referring to is that there's a, there's an IRS <laughs> rule that basically it says- the IRS a lot, actually. <laughs> when we talked yeah. about cults, remember, Danielle, right. you were like, it's only a cult if it doesn't if it's it not doesn't get tax exempt status tax. at the IRS. That's right. And the lawyers That's decide right. whether it's a cult or a religion. The tax man knows, man. The tax man knows. <laughs> that's right. And that's where that's what it says is you can't use a church enough because churches are ta- are exempt from paying property taxes. So you can't use a church as kind of a political tool. And and what they mean specifically is partisan politics. Hmm. So that so what they're trying to prevent, and I would say rightfully so, they're trying to prevent a a, a partisan group from starting a church as a cover right. <laughs> for partisan politics, right? So I, as a pastor, am not allowed to stand up in a pulpit and tell you who to vote for. Now, wait that a minute, doesn't, because I know in Catholic church they told us all the time who to vote for, like specifically. <laughs> well, I can't comment well, they, on that. Their parish administrator <laughs> is not as. Is not ours. Vigilant at, at keeping you following the rules in that church. And if not yes. by name, it was so very implied by policy that, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, there's, there's, so people often get, they get frustrated when they, they say, oh, the church is too political. Hmm. And I'm, uh, and and I don't know that people say that about my congregation, but it, maybe they do. But in general, that's a thing people say about some churches, right? They'll right, get mad because the, they the say right-wing, it's too political. Yeah, right? the whole yeah. right wing Christian movement feels right. extremely political for the appointment of people on courts and politicians. All of that it seems very right. political. Right. Well, and the truth is, politics is just how we organize our common life. There's nothing. It says the church can't be active in, quote, politics. Politics is just how we negotiate the structures of our life together. And, and your faith ought to have something to say about that. I mean, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're preaching uh, Jesus, you know, some people are talking about this idea of, let's remember that we preach salvation by a brown-skinned Middle Eastern Jew who gave away health care for free. I mean, like, <laughs> right? if you... If you preach that, like I was listening to a, a podcast the other day with Reverend William Barber, who um, is the head of the Poor People's Campaign, and he says, Jesus never charged a leper a copay, right? So oh my like, if, you, if you preach that Sick. stuff, it will have, <laughs> it has to have an impact on how you organize your life. It has to mm-hmm. have an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can call that being political as an insult, but it's not an insult. It just means that your faith matters to your everyday existence. And it should. I, I love what you said that politics are just the way that we, what did you say, order our life or 
or form. Yeah, it's the way we we organize or negotiate organize our common, our, life. Our common yeah. life. Organize our common life. That's so true. Yeah, yeah, I love that. It's just because I think that a lot of people are like, oh, I don't, I'm not involved in politics, and it's like, well, you, if you have a public school near you, or you drive on a road, or you fly in a plane, or anything, you are. That's right. It is you part are. of your life, you know, and yeah. you may say, I don't like to vote or I don't want to vote or I don't, whatever the thing is that you think is political. That's regardless of the fact that your other people are deciding these things for you. Right. You pay taxes. That's political because that money goes someplace right. and something happens to it. And ideally, I have you, no want, comment. <laughs> you want to have a say in what happens to all that. Yeah. I'm not going to comment further Let's either, but I'm just saying, <laughs> right. I know, but, um, that I think you're right that, you know, I don't know, I'm quoting somebody that I, everything is political, right? It, mm. That's, just, it, mm-hmm. and there's no reason for the church to say, oh, we can't have anything to do with any of that. Then what's, what's, how are we truly living out the gospel or the good news? If we are determined to absent ourselves from the workings of everyday life, mm-hmm. Um, mm. we can't, you just can't, you can't do that. That's not good news. Um, now how we, how we do that. And the fact that we disagree about those things is okay. We got to figure out our way through that. But, um, you know, I, I'll often hear people, you know, I have friends who say, well, I preached a couple sermons and someone came up to me and said, pastor, you're getting too political. Um, and usually what that means is you've made that person uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which Jesus was super good at. Oh, is super he was. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, we can think about um, as, as people of faith, we should be participating in our in our democracy in this case, or whatever form of government you live with, um, because we have something to say about a God who cares about people's lives, not just mm. a God who says, you know, everybody should go to heaven or something, but a God who cares about the life you are living right now. And the way we structure our life matters to people right now. And if you don't think that's true, then ask a person of color how they feel when they're pulled over by a police officer. That's their life. Um, We can can talk all day long about statistics and, you know, and all the things that go into that and, and that how hard it is to be a police officer, Mm -hmm. Um, all of which is true. And yet the way we've organized our common life right now favors some people over others. I just don't think there's any way around that. And, but the good news is because we organized it that way, we can organize it a different way. That's right. It's not like ordained that it has to be the way it is. We can do better for everyone. Mm -hmm. And that's what politics ought to be. Mm. I mean, it's not always what it is. Mm -hmm. Are there any other examples from the New Testament, I guess, is what I'm pulling from, from Jesus's life of his interaction with this organization? I mean, aside from the fact of the killing of him and, you know, the turning of the tables and stuff. I mean, it didn't go super well. (laughs) No, he was really, um, I mean, I remember the first time I heard that somebody said, well, Jesus was a rebel because in my upbringing, it was a lot more of like, the divinity of Jesus and just a pretty untouchable and just seriously divine dude who went around and did these marvelous things and you, just this untouchable figure. And so even bringing the divinity of Jesus down into like an actual human who might've walked the earth and done these things, 
was news to me. Um, and so then when, <laughs> when, you know, other ideas would started being introduced uh, of, yeah, actually he was pretty much a rebel and was rebelling against the government at the time and the policies and things that were happening at the time. You know, that was really quite shocking to me um, to even bring that humanity in and that there was an actual historical perspective happening that he was rebelling against and trying to create this new movement essentially like we can do better this is the better way mm -hmm. um, and pastor mike often talks about the early churches they call themselves the people of the way um which i i really really like that so what do we there's some document that we have that we're going to be referring to what is this document with talking about people of the way like how what way are we how do we move forward in modern times? Well, the one I'm thinking of is um, it's a, a it's called a social mess social message from the ELCA. You can find it online, um, and it, the ELCA doesn't the which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. That's the denomination that that Holy Spirit Lutheran Church is part of. Um, we don't do like things you have to believe to be Lutheran, um, but we are big fans of uh, you know giving a committee. A big task and then writing a big document. Um, and the idea of the document is to kind of collate wisdom from various people in the tradition. And, and there's, you know, if you look at a church of 4 million people, you got really amazing experts in all these different fields. And so to try to get them together and have some of their best thinking around an issue. And there's all kinds of these social messages. And the newest one is called Discipleship in a Democracy. And it just gathers together, like, what are some Lutheran teachings around government? Um, why do we have it and what should we do with it? Um, and I don't think it's like a, you know, anarchy baby. Yeah. It's not like a, yeah, it's not that, down. yeah, it's not like a crazy, you know, crazy. It's a really thoughtful piece that I think reminds us that, you know, it's such a difficult time. I think of people's sense of any kind of trust in a, in a government. Um, and part of what I appreciated about it was the reminder that, you know, the government isn't like a thing out there. It's, mm. we're it, we're it. <laughs> I mean, scary. and that's good news and bad news, right? Yes, like no exactly. one's coming to save us. Yeah. We, we're it. But at the same time, you know, and it's not perfect. And there's all kinds of ways in which the structures of government exclude all kinds of people, including in the voting process. Yes. Um, so again, if we have organized ourselves this way, we can do it better. And it's our call as people of faith to be a part of that conversation and not to walk away and say, well, I don't want to deal with any of that nasty politics stuff. You know, that's right. just, that's, that's not for me. Like, no, I think as I get, I, as I get older as well, and it, there's no one to look toward anymore as I'm approaching 50 and I'm in that generation of like, we're doing the things and it doesn't feel like I'm alert. You know, you're always learning, but you know, you're, heavy learning days are over and that sort of thing and you're working in it and you just like wait I am it like <laughs> you know I really and you know, then you like look at somebody else thing, somebody else here's like you could have been in my you know class in high school and you're deciding for me and like no wait a minute I don't want no like you suddenly I'm as I get older I just keep getting more and more of this feeling responsibility of for the community um put yeah. on me because it is that generational change, I think, the changing of the guard, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's weird to it's weird to start realizing like, wait, where are the adults in this room? <laughs> like, you, you I sure? think there's a flaw in this plan. 
<laughs> but then you realize that they don't know any better than you do. And so you're like, I think I'd rather, I'd rather be the one. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. true too. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the, what does the ELCA tell us to do? What should we be doing? Well, I want to I mean, know yeah. the answers. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no magic path to perfection in this thing. Um, but it, for, first of all, a reminder that, you know, there are roles, there can be kind of sacred roles for government to play. And they really have to do with this idea that this is how we protect and make a decent life for the large numbers of people in a society. You know, there's just stuff you can't, mm. you can't do things. We've said this already, right? You can't have roads, you can't have hospitals, you can't have um, all kinds of infrastructure without some form of government. That's just how it is. And that God can, can work through that. Um, that can be a, a good thing. Um, I remember an example that one of my professors always gave was like speed limits. Speed limits are there for a reason. They're there to keep you safe. You know, that's a good role of government. Um, mm -hmm. And we don't, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Right? yeah all, libraries, all kinds of things. Yeah. All that kind of mm -hmm. stuff that this, that, and then that the, one of the central questions we as Christians need to be asking ourselves is how is the government functioning for the well-being of, of my neighbor? Mm. Um, and, uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember a, a pastor friend of mine talking about, she was having a conversation over the fence with her actual neighbor. Uh -huh. and usually a neighbor is kind of like a metaphor, but in this case, her actual neighbor, and he was complaining about paying taxes. And, um, she said, you know, I don't mind paying taxes because when I pay my taxes, I know they're helping take care of you. Um, and he was like, huh, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, again, do taxes do all good things? Uh, no, no, they no. do not. Mm. But, um, but there are ways in which we can, how, how do we work, vote, advocate, mm -hmm. um, make a stink <laughs> to make sure that the government is serving the good of the larger, you know, of our neighbor, of more vulnerable folks and of our neighbors. Mm. Um, um, and how, if, when the structures are not doing that, then we are called to be informed, to participate, to protest, to organize. Those are part of our faith, um, mm -hmm. even to be, you know, disruptive in order to make sure that this thing is not being corrupted and used for, for evil. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that that's not like an ex extra add on for people of faith. It's a, it's a central thing for us. Wasn't that the, isn't that, I mean, that idea of the idea, that the people can protest the government wasn't that the i mean <laughs> i'm no history scholar the shining achievement of the american constitution in that sense of you can i mean in in the obviously you can't say anything against the king you'd get beheaded and and many you know other types of um political institutions that the running countries it was it was supposed, you know, the founding fathers saying that you can petition the government, you can do that, and your uh, your right to do that is sort of unassailable. Yeah, I mean, that's one one of the things I really value. Um, I mean, we were so I was teaching a group of sixth graders on Sunday on Zoom um, <laughs> about Martin Luther, and we were talking about the fact that in kind of European culture. Of course, there's all kinds of other cultures we can look at, but right. in, in the Middle Ages here, you know, Martin Luther was one of the first people to do that, to stand up and say, hey, I, no, <laughs> hmm. 
right. I'm, I'm saying no to the structures. And um, the idea that you could do that was not common. Um, no. And it impacted politics because at the time, church and politics were the same. same. Church and state were the same. Mm -hmm. um, he paid a pretty significant price for what he did. Um, other people were inspired to do the same thing, you know, but this, again, this idea that you get to, that God is calling you to stand up and, and say, no, um, I mean, that's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. That's what all kinds of people are doing now. Doesn't that um, touch on the prophets as well? I mean, absolutely. you're a prophet person. Yeah. Tell us about a prophet. I mean, all the prophets did that essentially, right? Yeah. Most of them, um, in, in many ways, sometimes, um, larger, more famous ways during their lives than others. But um, many of them were, <coughs> excuse me, were pretty ordinary people. Um, and it was their job to stand up to a culture and say, hey, this is out of whack. <laughs> mm. You know, the balance of the way that God is calling us to live um, is not happening. And and often they were called to speak to the, mo the more powerful, wealthy people, because that's where all the decisions would get made and say, this isn't, you know, God is not okay with this. Mm. Um, and, you know, almost all the time they were either yep. ignored or persecuted or <laughs> silenced or played or what have you. I you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, something. didn't turn out super well for most of them. Um, right. But, but all, you know, again, all of that was a call from God. Mm. Um, and was it political? You bet all of it was political. Maybe we don't read it that way um, right. because we, we don't think of it that way in the Bible, but but every prophet and Jesus and all the folks that are active in the Bible, they, they are also acting within and, and around and sometimes against the, the politics of their day. Right. Right. Hmm. Is that, uh, were those the bullet points in that document? Yeah. Is everybody that... registered to vote. Make sure you, make sure you do that. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, and that's system. important. Yeah, yeah, be a part of the system. Is it the only thing you should do? Nope. But um, it's a thing that we should absolutely do as people of faith. One of, one of my, my favorite youth, I say that about all of you, um, she was late to <laughs> That's youth That's good group. that you do. <laughs> I, my, I have friends who are like, can you please stop saying that? My favorite all child. Of <laughs> all of them. Um, she was late to youth group because she was uh, dropping off cakes. She told all her friends who were old enough to register to vote. If they registered to vote, she would make them a cake and drop it off at their house. Um, and she said she's got five of her friends that she knows for sure have registered to vote because she's pestered them. Uh -huh. And I just, I was just like, but what a creative way to get the that's people awesome. in your life to register to vote. For yeah. The first time. Oh, that's offer. amazing. Yeah. Drop you off a cake. I just, I still have images of the South Africans, 98% of them lining up to vote when they first could, when apartheid fell, right? I just, I have those images from, I think the early nineties is when it was, or late eighties, early nineties. And I just cannot get it out of my head because it was also the first time that I learned that not everybody did vote in America. In fact, most didn't. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. It was so shocking to me that I was like, how simple is this thing to do? Although we could make it much more simple, always improvement. Yeah. Um, but those lines of people can't to waiting to cast their vote has always sat with me. And so the participate the, the people who had not had the right really understood the value, you know, the extreme value of participating in that yep. process. 
Yeah. And, and for many of us, it is pretty simple to register and something we can absolutely do. And then in the places in our system where we see that it's being made hard for people intentionally, mm-hmm. then that's another thing that we can work on that we, you know, that we need to be a part of fixing. Well, thank you so much. That was super informative um, from the ESCA point of view. And uh, yeah, everyone to register to vote and um, tell us what you think about democracy, challenging Christianity podcast at gmail.com. Your, anything that's been, you know, jogged in your brain during this conversation. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Do you agree? Do you disagree about the church's role in a democracy? Mm. Let us know. We like fearless feedback. Fearless feedback. (laughs) Fearless feedback. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.